Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sher Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet... This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks, on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hair of your legs, and to take off your beards also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, he will have curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, in every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Men will go there with bow and arrow, 
for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. This is the word of the Lord. Now, loving Heavenly Father, we are very aware of uh, the world and uh, how so often the world comes bearing down upon us. And we thank you for all that we've just heard and that we will hear that there is a safe place, that you are our fortress and our tower, uh, that you are strong and that you can help us to stand against all that comes upon us. And so we pray very simply that uh, through your word we would learn what we've been hearing to trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Isaiah chapter 7, the uh, reading that Simon read for us earlier. Page 691 uh, is the page number as we continue to go through the book of Isaiah um, through this term. I think something else that you'll find particularly helpful, you may not always find uh, these things helpful, which is fine, but um, I think you'll find this particularly helpful this week if you dig out uh, this handout, uh, this uh, it's a, well, sermon outline, particularly on the back, uh, but on the front, well, I'll come back to that later and you'll see, I think, why that will be useful this week. Uh, one of our mission partners emailed recently, Quote, uh, since we last wrote, there have been more attacks on our believer friends, this time in the north of the country. One particular church has been seeking government recognition for years, but it was raided last week, and 11 people were fined about two months' wages. Eight were from one family, a family who we have known since our early days in the country. The elderly leader was treated very roughly. His wife was beaten, and their home was searched without a warrant. All their Christian literature was confiscated and destroyed. Please pray that they would stand firm through this storm and would grow in faith and love in spite of these attacks. Well, here in Britain, we don't face that kind of opposition. But as we stand up for the truth, we will find ourselves under pressure. As the government tries to redefine marriage, we will find ourselves under pressure to marry couples, uh, couples here who we think biblically should not be married. At recent PCC meetings, we've had weighty discussions about the way we are being marginalised, even within the Church of England. We're feeling the pressure. Well, Isaiah chapter 7 is a passage all about how we respond when we feel under pressure from the world around us. Now, that was the, the big issue for King Ahaz and the people of Judah. See, as we turn to Isaiah chapter 7, King Ahaz was the king of Judah. You can see that there in verse 1. Now, perhaps you'll remember from a couple of weeks back how chapter 6 began with the news that King Uzziah had died. The Bible book of Second Kings fills in the history for us. Uzziah had a son called Jotham. Jotham reigned in Judah for 16 years. And when he died, his son Ahaz came to the throne. That's where we're at in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 1. Ahaz is on the throne and that was bad news very bad news for God's people because Ahaz was a wicked wicked king now keep your finger in Isaiah chapter 7 and turn with me uh, just back to 2 Kings chapter 16 and uh, we'll see here how the Bible assesses the reign of King Ahaz it's page 387 page 387 2 Kings chapter 16 
And as I read verses 2 to 4, I just see what the Bible says about this king who is leading God's people at the time. Page 387, 2 Kings, chapter 16, verse 2. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. Unlike David his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire, following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the high places, on the hilltops, and under every spreading tree. What a monster Ahaz was, even sacrificing his own son. That demonstrated that Ahaz followed other gods. And so under his kingship, Judah was in a precarious state. A state made even more unstable by what we read as we flip back now to chapter 7 and verse 1 of Isaiah. Uh, You see what was going on in verse 1? Ahaz, son of Jotham, the king of Uzziah, was king of Judah. And while he was king, King Rezim of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they couldn't overpower it. Now look in these verses, uh, as you'll see already, there are lots of names and places that most of us won't be very familiar with. So I put on the handout uh, this list of terms and conditions, as I've called it. This is why I think this is going to be so useful for us to have in our hand uh, while we go through things this morning. One thing that we do need to understand as we read this chapter is that um, Judah and Israel are two distinct nations. By this point in Bible history, Judah are considered the people of God, the line from which the Messiah would come. And they dwell in the promised land with Jerusalem being their capital city. But if you want to read it at home, 1 Kings chapter 12 gives us the history of how the ten northern tribes of Israel split from Judah and Benjamin. But for now, just note that there are two separate and distinct nations. Israel, the northern kingdom, And Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, Ahaz is the king of Judah, God's people, the southern kingdom. Now, with that in mind, as we work through this chapter and as we have this list of terms and conditions to hand, it will help us to remember who's who and what's what and where's where, I hope. In a nutshell, these were terrible days for Judah, as I put under the heading condition. And the nation was in dire straits because they had a bad king in Ahaz. And because, as we've just seen in verse 1, Rezin, the king of Aram, that is Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, that is the king of Israel, they have formed an alliance and they are marching against Jerusalem. That's what we read in verse 2. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So Judah, God's people, are being attacked by this northern alliance And it was terrifying, verse 2. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. If you lived here in Sheffield from the 12th to the 15th of December 1940, as the German Luftwaffe bombed this city, you'll know what Ahaz and the people of Judah felt. Shaken inside and very probably, actually, literally shaking on the outside. That's what they were going through. Most of us have never been in a city under siege. But spiritually, many of us will know what they felt, being in a situation where we feel shaken. Like the situation described in the letter from our mission partner. Attacked because of their Christian faith. That leaves you shaken. 
And while it may not be as extreme, I know a number of people in this congregation who have felt at work in recent days under pressure just because they're Christian. They're standing for the truth and it has caused them great distress. They feel shaken. I am expecting this country to become increasingly hostile towards Christians in the years ahead. Now, not wanting to sound melodramatic, it is quite conceivable that in years to come, Christian ministers will be prosecuted for our position on marriage or the uniqueness of Christ. Things said from this pulpit that through the internet can be heard all over the world could easily be interpreted as inciting racial hatred or discrimination. In the days ahead, we will feel increasingly, in the same way that we read verse 2, our hearts shaken as the world comes bearing down upon us. It won't leave, leave us untouched no matter how strong our faith is. And that is exactly why we need to hear the word of the Lord. And that's exactly what happened next for Ahaz, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah the prophet, Go out, you and your son, Shea Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. The Lord had a word for Ahaz and his people Judah. So he sent Isaiah the prophet to meet Ahaz. And you see it there in verse 3. He, he told Isaiah to take his son, Shea Jashub, along with him as he met King Ahaz. And here we begin to see how important names are in the Bible and that we know what the names mean. Again, under the terms and conditions section on this sheet, you'll see uh, what the names mean. Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. Shia Jashub means a remnant will return. So as Ahaz and the whole people of Judah are shaken by the northern alliance attacking Jerusalem, the Lord sent Isaiah and Shia Jashub to meet Meet King Ahaz. Imagine the scene. Isaiah arriving, sticking out his hand and saying, Hello, Ahaz, I'm Isaiah, and this is my son, Shia Jashub. Or maybe better, Hello, Ahaz, the Lord is salvation, and a remnant will return. Now, that was a powerful message to King Ahaz. Ahaz, you're being attacked, but the Lord is salvation. Ahaz, you think you're going to be crushed by this army, but a remnant will return. You won't be wiped out. There will always be a faithful remnant of God's people. Shia Jashub. That's the Lord's message to Ahaz. It's wonderful. And there's more. You see, apart from taking along his son to make the point, it seems to me that Isaiah also took a load of posters along with him. Uh, you can see them in verse 4. Isaiah said to King Ahaz, verse 4, uh, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Do you see the posters there in verse 4? I put them on the screen in case you haven't noticed them. First one, keep calm and don't be afraid. Second one, keep calm and don't lose heart. Third one, keep calm and take care, be careful. He's uh, posting them up on the wall there, the, where, where he met with, with Ahaz. That's the first part of verse 4. Ahaz, keep calm. But how can Ahaz possibly keep calm when he and Jerusalem are under siege? That's the point of what, Ahaz, of what Isaiah is saying to King Ahaz. Verse 4, he goes on. Do not lose heart. Keep calm. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stumps of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son of plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. 
It will not happen. It's a a brilliant moment. I love the way in verse 4 the Lord describes the kings of Syria and Israel as two smouldering stubs of firewood. Uh, You know how it is when firewood is smouldering. Yes, it's still hot. Maybe too hot to handle, but you know, it doesn't have long before it'll burn itself out. That's what the Lord is saying about these kings who are invading Jerusalem. They've made huge claims. They reckon they're going to take Jerusalem. Did you see that? That has been the same down through the centuries. People have been predicting the end of God's people, predicting the end of the church ever since it began. The atheist, Philip Pullman, has declared, without a doubt, Christianity will cease to exist in a few years. He would have done well to listen to the historian T.R. Glover who wrote, the final disappearance of Christianity has been prophesied so often as to be no longer interesting. You see, that is verses 6 and 7. They said, verse 6, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tobiel over it. Yet, verse 7, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place it will not happen. That's as definite as you need. It will not take place, says the sovereign Lord. And here, of course, is where chapter 6 is so important as our backdrop, as our context. Remember a couple of weeks ago, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, Isaiah was given that remarkable, astonishing, awesome vision of who the Lord is. He is the king of kings. He is the undisputed king of all creation. And so when he says it will not take place, then you can be sure it will not take place. When the sovereign Lord of Isaiah chapter 6 says, those earthly kings are nothing, we can believe it. They are nothing. And that is exactly what the Lord says in verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. The head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. You see what he's saying? These heads of the nations, these kings, they're nothing. And I love, I love it in verse 9. It's just beautiful. Now, the Lord describes the king of Samaria as Remaliah's son. He doesn't even call him by his name Pekah. He calls him Remaliah's boy. Don't worry about the king of Israel. He's just Remaliah's boy. Do you remember when he used to run around in short trousers? That's what he's saying here. He's nothing. Don't worry about him. All the way through these verses then, the sovereign Lord says to King Ahaz, keep calm. The Lord is salvation. A remnant will return. God's people will never be wiped out. Those against you are nothing. They've made great plans that will come to nothing. It will not happen. The word of the Lord through Isaiah could not be more reassuring. And so through Isaiah, the prophet, the Lord says, uh, trust me. That's what he says at the end of verse 9. Do you see it there? He says, stand firm in your faith. That's what the Lord says. But but look how he actually puts it. He says in verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And the reason the Lord puts it like that is that King Ahaz was anything but firm in his faith. Remember, he was a wicked king. He followed other gods. And at this point in his life, with Jerusalem under siege through the northern alliance, Ahaz had a choice to make. 
He could trust the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Or he could turn to someone else to deliver him. And that's exactly what he was tempted to do. Now, we can't see it here in Isaiah chapter 7, but in 2 Kings chapter 16, we won't turn to it now, but in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 7 to 9, we know that at this point, King Ahaz was considering turning to another king, somebody called Tiglath-Pileser III, the king of Assyria. Assyria was the world superpower of the day. And Isaiah thought to himself, you can read all about this in 2 Kings 16. Isaiah thought that if he turned to the Assyrians, if he made an alliance with Assyria, they would save him from the Syria-Israel alliance that was attacking him. So here's the thing. Judah is under attack from the world in the form of the Northern Alliance. The Lord said, trust me, the Lord is salvation. A remnant will return. My people will never be destroyed. Trust me. But rather than trust the Lord, Ahaz was considering turning to the Assyrians. It is bizarre. But to save himself from the world, the Northern Alliance, he was thinking of turning to another aspect of the world for salvation, the Assyrians. It's bizarre, and yet that is so often our temptation. But what is going to save us if marriage is redefined and we're expected to act in ways contrary to God's law? Where will we turn then? Are we going to stand firm in our faith and trust the Lord to deliver us? Will we stand firm or will we turn to the lawyers and say, oh, we'll get some brilliant lawyers. They'll deliver us. I'm not even saying at this point that that Christians shouldn't do that. I'm just saying, where are we actually going to put our trust? Even if we did turn to the lawyers, what are we thinking? The lawyers are going to save us or the Lord will save us. The question that this chapter raises has really exposed my own heart. I know this connects with you, but uh, uh, just stay with me for a moment. When I'm under pressure from the world... Rather than trust the Lord, rather than look at Isaiah chapter 6 and see how awesome the sovereign Lord is and and put my trust in him, so often my knee-jerk reaction is to look to something else to rescue me, uh, to think of a way out, to devise a scheme, or perhaps more often than, than, than not, to look to money to rescue me. I think if I've got enough money, I'll probably be safe. Money seems to be, for me, and I think it is for many people in the world, the great superpower of the day. I think to myself, with money, I can buy the legal representation I need if I get into trouble. And with money, I can, well, that will pay for the care that I might need if, if my body begins to fail. Or with money behind me, I can, I can move away from the situation that is causing me such distress. You know, I can just walk out of it and buy a house somewhere else. Money is the superpower in my life, it seems. Uh, Indeed, as I've thought about this uh, over these last months, this chapter has made me rethink why people want money. It's not always because we're materialists and just want loads of stuff. It's not always that we're hedonists who prize pleasure above everything else. Our desire for money is because we're insecure and money gives us security. Because we think it will save us. So we... Keep a little bit aside for a rainy day. We think a healthy bank balance will help us when we have health problems in the future. It will get us out of a fix if we lose our job. It's the thing that rescues us. It's the superpower. Well, look, this passage says, trust the Lord. 
Don't look to anything else to deliver you when the world comes bearing down upon you. But trust the Lord. The problem is, trust the Lord doesn't really seem enough, does it? Uh, Every Wednesday, as a staff team, we, we meet together and whoever's preaching on Sunday, morning and evening, they give their little outline of the talk and then the rest of the staff team sort of lob in their thoughts and say, you've got that wrong and you need to change that and how about this? And we did that this Wednesday. And we were talking about Isaiah chapter 7 and it was one of the trainees that sort of put this point brilliantly. He made this point. If we're under pressure and someone tells us to trust the Lord, we often respond like this, whether we actually say it or just say it in our minds. Yeah, I know that's the theory, but this is reality. I'm going to get crushed here. Trust the Lord? Not enough, is it? That's how it was for Ahaz. He was under military siege, for goodness sake. And the Lord said, trust me. And he thought to himself, I know that's the theory, but we're going to get murdered here. I need someone else to help me. It does just sound unreasonable. But the Lord says, verse 9, stand firm in your faith. And he says, here's the real twist now. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. He says, if you turn to someone else, for him the Assyrians, for me money, whatever it is, if you turn to someone else, you will end up being crushed. In his commentary on Isaiah, John Oswald writes that Ahaz turning to the Assyrians was, quote, like a mouse asking a cat for help against another mouse. Only the cat could win. That's kind of what's going on in verse 9 and through the rest of this chapter. If we turn to the world for protection, like a cat, that part of the world we've turned to will in in time turn on us and gobble us up. And that's what we see in the verses that follow. First, have a look at verses 10 to 13, because these verses are the pivotal moment in Ahaz's life. Look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Uh, that is the most gracious thing uh, that we read in this chapter from our God. He has spoken to Ahaz through Isaiah the prophet. The sovereign Lord has given his word that the northern alliance will not bring this catastrophe upon Jerusalem. He has reassured the king. Uh, The Lord is salvation. Shia Jashub, a remnant will return. It will not happen. He has given all these assurances. His word has spoken. And yet even after giving his word, the Lord then says, Ahaz, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you something more. How gracious of him. Whatever you like, he says, ask for a sign and you can have it. Verse 11, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights, pick a sign, any sign. But Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. (laughs) It sounds like such a spiritual response. It is the Bible he's quoting after all. But as we read on, we see from verse 13 that it wasn't a good response at all. So yes, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16 says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Ahaz can quote the Bible, but don't be fooled. We can be people who quote the Bible and not be trusting God. In Deuteronomy, we're told not to demand a sign in rebellion against God. But here, God has offered Ahaz a sign to help him and he won't take it. The bottom line is this, Ahaz doesn't want to trust the Lord. That doesn't seem good enough. Ahaz wants to trust the Assyrians. That's why he won't take the sign. And so Isaiah says, verse 13, 
Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? That is a dangerous position to be in, trying the patience of God. And this is the point where we know Ahaz is not trusting the Lord. Notice the subtle but crucial shift from verse 11 to verse 13. In verse 11, Ahaz is told, ask the Lord your God. That is Ahaz's God. In verse 13, Isaiah says, will you try the patience of my God, Isaiah's God? By verse 13, you see, the Lord is no longer Ahaz's God. Ahaz has refused to trust the Lord. Ahaz wants to trust the Assyrians for deliverance. And so what happens next is exactly what was promised back in chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. There's no need to look it up. But you remember in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was told, as you go and proclaim to this nation, they won't listen to you. They will reject you. They reject the word. Now Ahaz has just done that. And so as you go, speak in language that they won't understand because they've already rejected me. So Ahaz has rejected Isaiah's message and so Isaiah speaks to Ahaz in a way that is kind of veiled. He says, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It's Christmas. We know that verse. We know Matthew tells us um, that this is the Lord Jesus. We know that Isaiah is ultimately pointing to Jesus, the one who was born of a virgin and called Emmanuel, God with us. We know that. But for Ahaz, this is difficult. It's a confusing idea. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son called Emmanuel. How can that happen? You see, because Ahaz has rejected God, this is a sign that Ahaz won't understand. Having said that, The sign simply underlines the very things God has been saying to Ahaz. See, while we know this sign ultimately points to the Lord Jesus, I presume there would have been a sign like this for Ahaz at the time, although we don't know exactly what that sign was. The point is here, if if I've lost you a bit, because this isn't straightforward, if I've lost you a bit, the big point is in verse 16. Let me read from verse 15. Here we go. He... This one who will be born of a virgin will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But, verse 16, before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. This is the big point. It's exactly what the Lord has been saying to Ahaz. The lands of the northern alliance, Syria and Israel, will be nothing within a few years. A child will be born and before the lad is grown up to know he's different from right and wrong... These two lands will be nothing. The Northern Alliance will be history in no time at all. It's everything that God has been saying to them. If only Ahaz had trusted the Lord, he would have been rescued. But he insisted on trusting the Assyrians. And because he insisted on trusting the Assyrians, that cat, the Assyrians, would come back to eat the mouse, Ahaz. That's what we read in verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. It is a terrifying word of judgment. You see, he said, I'm going to trust the Assyrians. I'm going to turn to them. And then the Lord says, oh yeah, the Assyrians will come all right, but they're going to come in judgment on you. The cat turned to eat the mouse. 
See, the Lord says, not only will the Northern Alliance be nothing, but the Assyrians, whom you've turned to for protection, will come down bearing upon you. This is the outworking of verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, eventually you will not stand at all. If we insist on turning to the world to rescue us from the world, eventually the world will destroy us. That's what verses 18 to 25 are about. If I insist on trusting in money, eventually that will destroy me. It will make me a materialist. Well, in verse 18, we see the almighty power of God. He controls the powerful nations of the world just in the same way that a man controls his dog. Do you see it, verse 18? He whistles and they come running. It's all he has to do and the nations come running. And you see how in verse 18... To the Lord, the powerful nations of the world are like flies. They're nothing in comparison to him. But the Lord will use the nations, the powerful nations, to bring great destruction on those who refuse to trust him. That's what we read of in the verses from 18 to 25, which I'm not going to go through now. Well, that, I think, is Isaiah chapter 7. The particular historical details of the chapter may be foreign to us. But the message is, as we always find in the Bible, remarkably contemporary. As the world comes bearing down upon us, will we trust the Lord to deliver us? Or will we turn to another part of the world for salvation? The Lord says, verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. In his time of great need, God spoke his word of promise to Ahaz. The Lord is salvation. A remnant will return. God's people will never be wiped out. And God has spoken that same word of promise to us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus means the Lord saves. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh no, God's people will never be wiped out. As the world comes bearing down upon us, when we feel under pressure, will we trust the word of promise? And will we trust the sign? Ahaz was offered a sign, but he refused to take it. We've been given a sign, a virgin with child, given birth to a son who is called Emmanuel, God with us. He's the one we're to trust. Ahaz, as king of Judah, was meant to be one who trusted the Lord and so brought deliverance for God's people. But Ahaz was a wicked king and his actions led God's people away from the Lord. And so today we look to another king, a king we can trust. And Jesus is that better king. Jesus is the one who did trust the Lord, who did bring salvation for his people. He is a good king. And as I look at his life and his death upon the cross, I can see that I can trust him. I can shelter under his wing as the choir was singing he tells us the lord is salvation a remnant will return god's people will never be wiped out keep calm the end of the church will not happen so stand firm in christ your great king who brings you salvation but if you do not stand if you do not stand firm in your faith you will not stand at all Let's pray together.
Our Father, we thank you very much for your word of promise. We thank you that when you say something, because you are the almighty God of Isaiah chapter 6, when you say something, we are sure it will happen. When you say something won't happen, we can be sure it won't happen. And we thank you that you've spoken very clearly through your word today. And so we ask you to help us, indeed to give us faith. The faith that means that we will stand firm. The faith that will mean that we will trust you. And help us to know that if we don't do that, if we don't stand firm in our faith, that we won't stand at all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.